Welcome to another edition of Bridging the Gap. And this week, our guest is Matthew Ricks, the founder of Haystack Financial Planning. And Matthew's story is incredible. He's serving an industry or a segment of the economy in the world that needs financial services and financial planning more than almost anybody out there. And his focus is right there. When you check out his website, he is so direct on who he is serving and why he is serving them that it's inspiring for us in this industry and what he is doing to further advance the industry's impact on more and more people is amazing. And also, we talk about where he got the name Haystack because what financial advisory firm or financial planning firm do you know named Haystack? But there's a reason Matthew Ricks named it Haystack. This conversation is exciting. You learn a lot. We learn about Matthew's background and we learn about his passion for serving others and doing good utilizing financial planning. It's exciting. Now I'll turn it over to my conversation with Matthew Ricks. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Matt Ricks, welcome to Bridging the Gap. Thanks for joining us. How is everything up in uh, in the great New York City area? How's everything going up there? It's good. Summer, so that nice uh, New York City summer street smell is permeating throughout. So it's always good. But yeah, otherwise, can't complain. <laughs> It's always, you know, it's always better though than like the frigid cold and the darkness at four o'clock in the afternoon, you know, right in the heat of the summer, right? Is it still get dark four o'clock in the afternoon or is it sometimes 3.30 in the depths of the, of the winter up there? Yeah, it's certainly better to have more light during the day. It can be a uh, very miserable experience in the dreads of winter, you know, coming out of the, uh, the office or the the apartment or whatever it might be and it being pitch black. So yeah, I will take the heat and the stench over that for sure. All the time. I always try to stay away from my New York friends during that period of time because it's not their fault. It's just the, uh, it's just the outside world. So I always just kind of pause our friendship um, for a few months until it gets a little bit better up there for them because I just know it can be difficult. Again, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. You know, we got connected you know, and congratulations to you. I, I want to start there on the Investment News 40 Under 40 recognition and, and, and honor that you received. I mean, reading your background and learning about you, I mean, definitely well-deserved. But you know, I'm always interested. I've talked to a few of the other honorees as well. You know, what does the award mean to you from your standpoint to have the Investment News 40 Under 40? Uh, well, first, congrats to you as well. Thank you. Fellow recipient. Yeah. want to make sure that's out there. Give yourself <laughs> a little credit. It was a, to me, I I was very much surprised. I did not know some buddies of mine nominated me to begin with. When I got the email saying I got it, I got it on April 1st. So as you may may think, I thought someone was messing with me. But once it was confirmed, I was flabbergasted. Like I never expected it. It was not on my radar whatsoever. But it's very, very humbling to know that people view you in that light. You know, especially in this industry where sometimes it's not as obvious, right? You do a lot of work with clients um, to have your peers recognize you is a different feeling. Super cool. I tell my wife all the time, I was like, it's just been a little surreal, a little surreal, not what I expected, so. Yeah, and I think that, you know, one of the other podcast guests that I had on recently, you know, he talked about, you know, in our industry, we do a a lot of good things, but there's not a lot of times where you get recognized by the industry for the good that you're doing. Because it's not like we have the Oscars every year for our industry, right? We don't have these, you know, the the one that I can think of is like the Wealthy Awards, mm-hmm. the Wealthies that WealthManagement.com puts on. But 
you know, it's it's a recognition of the industry, but it's not like the it's trying to be like the Oscars. But for you know, individual financial advisors, it's not necessarily there all the time. So I, it's it's a cool honor, right? And it's a humbling honor. And I, as I have always said, I didn't really think that I've done enough to receive the honor. And I, and we always know that it's more than just us that 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 did the work to get to this point, right? It's our team, it's our family, it's our mentors, and everybody of that nature that has been involved with it. And so. It is a humbling. I think humble is the uh, is the right right word there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you look at a lot of the lists, you know, that's oh, best firm, best advisor. A lot of it's based on AUM or revenue, right? Where we know as advisors, where that's not always the best or correct indication, right? There are a lot of great advisors that are solos or smaller firms doing amazing work, where they just maybe don't have the loudest voice in the room or the biggest branding, biggest marketing, not to knock the people on the list, but it's such a vast field with a, a variety and array where it's hard to recognize everyone. You know, so that's, that's, that's I so think, part true. of the problem it's, too. Yeah, and it's true, right? Like the biggest and the, you know, the, mo- the loudest sometimes get the most recognition and they are doing some great things as well. But I, I really, I think it's really cool. And it was a diverse group of individuals of all different backgrounds and I think that that just shows kind of the progression that we're making in our industry with diversity and, and all of that. And I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. And it's, a, it's a, like you said, I mean, it's a great honor to be a part of it. You know, I, I always am interested in the, the beauty of doing this podcast is I talk to a lot of really interesting individuals and that have unique backgrounds. And I think that every individual that's gotten to where they are today, they have their own story. And so I'm all, I always love hearing the story. I mean, Tell me, and I researching you. I mean, it's another unique story to get to where you are, right? And you know, tell me your story of getting us to uh, where you are today and, and running your firm today. Sure. Um, so I'll start and from today and go backwards, right? So my firm is only a few months old. I went out on my own November of last year. Prior to that, spent two years at an independent broker dealer. Prior to that, spent you know four plus years at one of the large wirehouses. So I've been an advisor for seven plus years now, found financial planning early on in that and said, hey, this is this is my jam, right? The traditional investments only thing, I just didn't feel that I could add a lot of value to clients that way. Planning made sense to me. You know, my background education wise is in finance, is in, you know, prior to becoming an advisor, I was in institutional asset management. Uh, so I've had a lot of similar conversations about, you know, risk tolerance and goals and objectives and allocation, just very different dollar amounts. And even prior to that, you know, I'd always kind of advise friends and family off the cuff, you know, when they'd ask for my thoughts and opinions. And, and I saw a lot of people getting parsed advice, right? A little bit here, a little bit there, may not necessarily jive with each other or may not necessarily, you know, the taxes and investments, right? Estate planning investment, you know, it just doesn't factor everything in uh, to that. And that's what drew me to financial planning to begin with. You know, never saw myself as someone. Did your, who, did your parents? Yeah. Did you see yourself as being a financial advisor? Did you nope. did you grow up in a family of financial advisors or, you know, around it? Like, how did you get to this point? So I do have some family friends that were advisors, some close family friends, been advisors for you know their whole careers. So I was around it, would chat with them about it. They would try to convince me to do it. And finally, like I said, about seven, year ago, seven years ago, one of them finally said, look, 
you're an institutional, you're miserable, right? You're working these hours and you know, pain in the butt, all that fun stuff. He's like, it's the same conversation. It's just, you're doing it with people rather than these large institutions. He's like, give it a try. He's like, what do you got to lose? He's like, you know, you, you can make your own hours. You can do this. And I said, sure, you know, take the jump. I was getting married shortly, you know, with my wife. It's like, all right, at one point we can't both be, you know, type A work all the time. We didn't want that. So like one of us has to kind of figure out a career that offers a little bit of flexibility when it comes time to family. Mm-hmm. And being unhappy, I said, all right, I'll, that's me. Let's do it, right? You love your career. You're super successful in your career. You keep doing your thing. I'm the one who's going to make the adjustment. And, you know, personally it worked. And then for us, it worked as well. But like I said, I was exposed to it, but it was very much, you know, not the day-to-day. I knew kind of broad strokes, I had a number of, you know, my dad's friends and family friends that worked on Wall Street in different capacity. You know, my godfather was one of the, you know, was an early trader on the NASDAQ. So for years, I would always kind of overhear their conversations. And I was interested in working in finance. I was one of those kids going into college. I knew that's what I wanted to study. It's just even getting within the financial world, you don't realize how many different avenues you can go. And, it, and it's actually evolved quite drastically. I mean, even in the past 10 years, right, financial planning wasn't really the thing to do right for individuals and now it's evolved and i think it's like a core fundamental aspect of wealth management is financial planning and it used to always just be investment management and then it got to financial planning and and it was similar to your journey and and i'm always interested right so you said when you went into college you you kind of knew you wanted to be in in finance but what did what did you want to be as a kid i mean did you want to i was very big into architecture as a kid i had a, a drafting table with a T-square and I loved drawing, you know, buildings and house plans. I took some drafting classes in high school and I, I researched it more. And once I figured out exactly how much math and science classes I had to take, I said, nah, I'm good. I was like, oh, it's basically becoming an engineer. I don't want to do it. Like, you know, I look, I don't consider myself a very creative person, but I like the creative aspects of it. It's like, oh, there's a formula to this, right? There's some creativity, but it's also like very structured. And I was just like, I don't, I don't want to do all the math, all the science to it. So I said, okay, what, what else is there? You know, I'm good at math. I'm good at science, but not that, not that in depth. And I was like, all right, finance, yep. you know, like I said, plenty of family, friends, plenty of exposure to it. That kind of drew me down that path. Uh, I love that. I love that. And you're still, engi- you're still somewhat of an engineer. You're engineering financial plans for people, right? It's, yeah. you're, you're putting together different pieces. It's just not building necessarily a, uh, a big building or, or a house or whatever it may be. And, and now I see why, uh, you know, as we were talking about before we started uh, recording, why your kids are so into construction, you know, construction sites because they get it from their dad, which I love. Um, you know, when I was researching, you know, before this podcast, you know, I think that there's something really interesting about the firm that you've created. And I'd love to just kind of understand, you know, what led you down that path. And, it, and you know, you do an amazing job on your website right at the front of who you serve, right? You say it right there. There is no, like... I serve the high net worth and everybody's like, well, who's that? Right? Like, or I serve the whatever maybe you say directly that your focus is on special needs. Right. And, and that is your focus on families, you know, that are, that are dealing with, that have children or that have special needs themselves. How did you find that niche as something that you felt so passionate about to build a whole business around? Because I think it's admirable. I think it's so necessary to be on. I mean, it's beyond necessary, right? There should be more firms that are so focused on that. But what led you to that path? So it started with pro bono work. 
So I'm involved with my local FPA chapter, did pro bono work there in talking with individuals doing presentations through that. Got exposed to, you know, disability and special needs, whether it's through kind of the one-on-one consultations or someone asked a question during a presentation because they were receiving some type of benefit or they got a settlement or whatever it might be, right? And also through the regular course of my business, kind of just through the, the discovery meeting process, right? Asking all the questions, inundating prospects and clients with information, came across it enough where I started looking into it. And then I said, hey, are there other professionals out there focusing on this that I can refer these people to? Because I don't know enough. Like I didn't feel I knew enough about it and had the expertise. So either is there someone who I can refer it to? So the clients better serve, the prospects better serve, or someone that maybe I can ask a question to. And through that, as you you know alluded to here, there are people that focus on it. There are firms that focus on it, but certainly not enough. So I said, okay, I, as an advisor, you know, about seven years into the business, I didn't have a natural niche or a natural specialty form. You know, being in New York City, little, 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 little fish in a big, big pond, right? So how do I differentiate myself? I said, well, there's a vast need here. I'm interested in it because the academia side of it, right? How do you solve, you know, some of these problems? How do you solve these, the, the financial equation, right? Okay. If you have a, you yourself are receiving, you know, SSI or SSDI, one is income-based, one is asset-based. How do you solve that within the broader scheme of your financial plan? Well, to me, I was like, yes, like more stuff to solve, like let's dig into it. And then as well, you know, who do these, these individuals go to, these families go to that understand it? Mm-hmm. There are firms out there, but not enough. Or if there are people who do focus on it, they're not easy to find. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done different Google searches, different LinkedIn searches, and they're out there, but they're not very like in your face out there for various reasons, mm-hmm. right? Maybe they're at a bigger firm where they can't be, and it's more just... Within the community, they have a name, but they don't have the, the marketing aspects of it because they're restricted. I don't know. And that's what really led me down that path is more research and saying, okay, how big is the community? You look at the statistics, you know, it varies, right? But I think one in four, one in five adults in the U.S. at some point will be disabled or, or have a special need in their lifetime. And that's hmm. not counting if you're a caretaker, right? So the number's massive. So I said, hey, I'm, I want to go off on my own. This is a great way to do it. Great way to differentiate myself as a one-man firm. Great way to make it yeah. clear who I serve, who I want to work with. And again, market it and make it out there that I exist. Yeah. And so could you walk through, because I think, I don't think enough people out there understand the the challenge with planning, you know, like, you know, like there's so many different hurdles and variables inside of, you know, for planning for, you know, disabled or special needs, you know, families and financial plans. Can I, can you walk us through, you know, no names, no specifics, you can, you know, fudge the numbers, but, you know, walk us through an example of one of those scenarios where you felt like the most satisfied for the help that you provided that you, and how you walk them through and like how you set them up. Because I think it's, it's something that, the, the industry needs to hear more about, right? Like that mm-hmm. it's out there and, and how we, how we go about it. So one of the examples I like to give is a single mom, um, do- 16 year old daughter who, uh, with autism, she was a client of, you know, previous firm 
I was going through the financial plan, gave me statements. I was like, okay, why is everything in joint with your daughter, you know, or TOD, you know, transfer on debt. She's like, well, that's what my, you know, previous person said. I was like, okay, well, your daughter, is she receiving benefits, you know, talking about all that stuff. I said, all right, well, the minute your daughter turns 18, those benefits go away because these are considered her assets. You know, something as simple as account titling can have a major impact. Her daughter was receiving uh, like a shuttle service to therapy appointments. I said, that goes away. That's a benefit. That's a program benefit from, I think it was their state, right? I was like, they're going to see your daughter has access to these assets as an adult now. That's a problem. So that's a quick, easy thing to look at. Another thing to go through is, hey, you know, if you're a parent and you have, you know, a, a an adult child, right? And you're 72 yourself, right? Your adult child's in their 50s. What happens when you're no longer able physically to care for that child, right? How, how do you plan for it? Mm. Some families, it, it's other oh, other children, right? Is is their brother, sisters, cousins, aunts, whatever, going to care for them? Whether they have the financial capability to do that, whether they, you know, frankly, want to do that. That's always a conversation that's difficult within the family. So how do you plan for that, right? Is that person able to live on their own or they need some type of care? Maybe they need to live in you know, with full-time nurse or maybe they live into some type of facility or home or, or you know, extended care type uh, place, right? All these different factors that go into the planning of it, right? It is super interesting. Yeah, when you go through that, because that's crazy. I mean, like, that's a lot of planning, right? Like, I'm just thinking, sitting here, as you're talking about the 72-year-old parent that's still helping their adult child, right? Like, how do they help that adult child? Because, like, if there's going to be a point in time, and are you helping to, like, coordinate them with everything? Or do you have just, like, a Rolodex? Like, how do you help with that? Because that's a lot uh, on... <laughs> on that side, right? Yeah. So part of what I've been trying to do is I've really decided to focus on this area about two years ago. So the last two years, I've really tried to focus and build that Rolodex, right? You know, okay, the someone needs to sign up for Medicare, right? How, how do you go about it? Find that professional, right? Find that expert, you know, an attorney that can, you know, in their sleep, so to speak, right? Where the bulk of their business is focused on special needs trusts and how they interact with the broader estate plan. Right. Because if you have one of the children as a beneficiary in an estate and they, like I said, they receive, you know, SSI, SSDI, they get a massive inheritance, you can affect their benefits. So you need an estate attorney that understands this stuff. Right. So building that Rolodex is imperative. Having an accountant that understands it. If you are a family where your medical expenses reach that, you know, uh, what is it? You know, that AGI threshold these days. How do you track it? Does your accountant know of it? You know, what do they, you know, what do they have to help you prepare for that to get that tax benefit of it? So building out that professional Rolodex is a big part of what I'm doing and a big part of what I'm trying to do. Mm. I certainly can't do all of it, right? You know, it's not that I don't want to do all of it. It's just there are people where this is what they do, right? Yeah. The accountants, the, the tax professionals, the Medicare professionals, even, you know, I'm trying to figure out and, and find other businesses and other you know, services like, okay, you need a, a conversion van, right? You have uh, you or, or someone in your family needs a wheelchair. Where do you go to get the, you know, a vehicle that can, you know, easy in and out with a wheelchair? Try to find connections to that 
that broader world. Because the more I can do that for clients, prospects, whoever, the better off they are. Such a needed growth area in our industry to where I think we can make such a big impact. And I, I, I mean, I'm just inspired by, you know, how what you're doing and, and how you go about it. And, you know, you, you started this firm in November, you said. So Correct. you're coming up on, you know, a one year anniversary of the firm. You know, when you look at this firm, when you went out and started it and, you know, you look at it 5, 10, 15 years down the road, what does success look like? I get asked that question all the time, as you can imagine, Matt, right? And they're like, where, where do you see this, you know, Haystack going? What, how do you want to build it? You know, short term, to me, it, it's balance, right? One of the beauties of this profession is I can build this firm to, you know, make money for myself and my family while also having balance. That's something that's important to me and my family right now. Two young sons, I want to be able to be there and, mm-hmm. and help out and be a part of it. So I can kind of control the growth of it, right? That's important to me over the kind of the next five plus years, uh, especially as they're young, uh, especially my wife works herself. She has a, she's very successful in her career. She doesn't have the flexibility over her schedule like I do. So that mm-hmm. that's a huge benefit for us and something that, you know, is important. As far as how the firm matures, I don't have an answer. You know, I've talked to people and, you know, maybe I just want to kind of keep it at a certain level. Uh, people have brought up ideas like, hey, what if you brought on other advisors that even hyper focus? You know, you have someone that focuses on autism, Down syndrome, physical disabilities, where they know that stuff cold. You know, you can kind of do, you know, silos within the firm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Could be, right? It's an open that, book right now. You know, it, it's something. Yeah, it, it's something where, hey, you know. I didn't start out to build the billion dollar RIA. That's not my intention, mm-hmm. but I'm not closing that door through because I don't know what possibilities are out there, right? And that's the beauty of this industry, right? Is that everybody has an opportunity to succeed, right? You can succeed as a you know, 50 million, 25 million, 30 million, $100 million firm, and you get out of it what you want and you're serving and helping people as well. Whereas Others want to be multi-billion dollar firms in multiple locations. And that's great. And there's a firm for everybody, both founder, owner, partner, and also as clients, there's a firm for you that you can find. And that's the beauty of this industry, I think, that's there. Now, tell me where you got the name Haystack from, right? It's not like a traditional name. It, it's bales of hay that you have on, the, on, the, on, the, on your site, which I, I love. But trying to understand where that came from, because usually you think about financial advisor sites, like it's a boat, yep. it's a couple sitting on a bench, it's a serene ocean view, and you have haystacks. Tell me where you got it. So my last name is of Dutch origin. So it, the literal translation is stack of hay. So that's part of it. Ah. So it's been kind of like a, an inside tongue in cheek joke within my family for a number of years. But as I decided to start my own firm, I kept thinking of different names. Uh, Nothing stuck, right? I, I didn't want it to be like Rick's Wealth Management. It's just, it's not my style, right? So I said, all right, how can I play on Haystack? And I was like, okay, it doesn't really have a, a good connotation. Did some more research and I found that there's an alternate translation. So the stack of hay is the noun. Um, there's also a verb where it means to accumulate or gather. Once I saw that, I was like, all right, well, that fits, right? Okay, it's different. Like you said, it's not the traditional name. All right, there's a little bit of a, a cute little story behind it, right? It's my last name. The translation is the accumulator gather. I'm in financials, you know, helping people, you know, with their wealth, their money, their life, you know, yeah. okay, it works. 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, so it is kind of like you went Rick's Wealth Management, but you did it in a different way, right? The origin yeah. of the name is Haystack, which I would never have guessed Rick's origin would have been Haystack or Stacks of Hay. That is, you know, I, that, I learn something new every day. I think that that's great. So I love that. And, you know, I think that I always like to ask people because we're in the business of money, right? And I think it's always interesting um, to ask people that manage money and help others manage money how they view their own relationship with money. Because it's like, you know, we, we're all about, you know, helping others with money, but nobody ever, none of our clients come to us and be like, well, what's your relationship with money or how do you handle your own money? So, you know, if you had to think about your relationship with money, how would you view it through Matt Rick's eyes? I mean, I think that's a, a wonderful question because we all have our own history, right? Growing up, you know, what was, what was life like? Right. How did that shape you? And that does shape you whether you realize it or not. So growing up, you know, my parents had me very young. My dad hustled his butt off. Right. Was working, working to become successful. So it wasn't until later on that I realized, hey, like, you know, I never questioned it. But we had toys. We had house. We had all that stuff. But, you know, my mom was making everything. My mom would make cookies, would make meals, make this, make that, you know some of my favorite meals. She's like, yeah, because it cost me like $2 to make, you know, she's like, we didn't have money. She's like, but it, you know, she figured it out. They figured it out. And I, I think that shapes, shapes my view on money. Right. Um, everyone has their thing. You know, I'm a firm believer these days of, Hey, sometimes you got to treat yourself, right? There's a emotional and mental benefit to spending money on your self care. You know, my, my friends sometimes, you know, bust my chops a little bit. Where I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm off getting a pedicure. They're like, what? I was like, it's a nice experience, guys. It's worth the money. You know, sit in the chair. Don't knock it until you tried it. Don't yeah, it's knock like, it until you, you tried You sit it. in the massage chair, you know, they, they you scrub you up. Like, hey, look, for, you know, 40 bucks or whatever it is, you know, once a month. Yeah, it's my 30 <laughs> minutes of zen. Turn the phone off, read a magazine, read a book get a massage like come on you know i love it i love it you know little things like that right um you can't do it all the time but every you know pockets of it but it's also you know my wife and i we have you know kind of that you know automatic force saving into our savings account into emergency funds into our son's 529s right so there's a balance there you know then there are certain things where it's like hey you know um you know now that i work from home full-time she's worked from home a bunch it's like, all right, we've been doing some fresh direct meals. It's like, you know what, just make it simple, right? You know, yeah. lunch, dinners. Um, that way, you know, none of us are under pressure to make dinner every night, right? Or, you know, okay, going out and eat lunch, right? New York City, lunch is 15 bucks. All right, get a couple of these salads, a couple of these meals. All right, they're still eight, nine bucks, 10 bucks. You know, relative though, it's still a couple bucks here or there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, it, it, it's so it's so interesting. I mean, it's interesting yeah. on that point because in uh, in one of my recent books, Doctor Cole Cash will see you now. It's a business fable about why financial advisors are never going away. But one of the reasons behind that book, or why I am a true believer that financial human financial advisors are never going away, is because we have to help clients navigate their emotional selves, and it's their emotional selves. I always think about it as a car. The foundation or the the, the chassis of the car is your upbringing. And then on the rest of the body of the car is all of your emotions, fear, greed, guilt, Mm -hmm. all of those types of emotions, shame, all of those built on top of the body of the car, but it all is built and hinged off of your, your upbringing. And just like you said, right, you, how you viewed money and it's hard to retrain yourself and reprogram yourself when you get 
when your life grows and you may have a different perspective, right? It's in, I always think back to an article that Tim Ferriss wrote and Tim Ferriss was talking about, you know, I was sitting here wondering, you know, when I was growing up, we had single ply toilet paper and I, you know, that's what we had. We just had single ply toilet paper because we didn't have money. Right. And like, that's all that was. He's like, I, you know, as I started my career, I got successful and fortunately I made some money and I was still buying single ply toilet paper. It's like, I can't reprogram myself given the change in my perspective because of how ingrained Mm -hmm. my upbringing was. It was like, that's just the way it is. And uh, I think it's so interesting to see how families and individuals, because if you're, if you, if you, the view of money comes from your background, but your, your current and your present is not the same as what they were, your parents were experiencing. And we still don't even really know what our parents made or how they, you know, were they in debt? Did they make a lot of money? Did they make, not make a lot of money? Like we don't know that when we get those experiences, but we don't ever kind of reshape the way our, we view money based on how our lives evolve, which is such an interesting dynamic. And I think I, I talked to retirees about that. They're like, oh, I want to go spend $12,000 a month in retirement. I'm like, you've only spent like $7,000 a month your whole life. They're like, yeah, but I want to go on trips. And I'm like, ain't going to happen. Like, you can't just like flip a switch and be like, I'm going to spend money galore now. You know, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, I'm sure we both experience it. You have the, the, the client, the prospect that comes to you where, you know, maybe they grew up in a household where there was more frugal and they're a little more of a spender, right? And the reverse, where they were in a household where money was always an issue. They didn't have enough. And they're, they're a big saver, right? Where they're afraid to spend because of that fear. So it, it is, it shapes you. You know, we talked before the recording, you know, I like home improvement. And that was because my parents, my dad did a lot of that stuff. His friends did a lot of that stuff because they were young. They didn't have money. So they learned to do it. And those are, you know, those are some of my favorite memories growing up with my dad is doing that stuff. And that's I love that. why I'm still interested in it. You know, it, it's nice to do it. You know, I, my boys, when I'm doing what I can around my New York City apartment, my oldest is always, can I get my toolbox? Can I help? You know? It's just, it's something like that where, yeah, I could go hire someone to do it, but I get that with my boys now. And before that, it's, I got that with my dad. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I want to, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I, 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 you've got a family, you've got a business, you've got clients. Uh, but I do want to wrap up with uh, one or two questions and the, the, the one that I always think is interesting, right. You're talking about our upbringing. I always like the, the, the learn from, from the people that we have on the on the podcast, you know, if you had to change one decision since your 17th birthday, what would it be, right? Like, if you had to change something, I'm going to give you some time, so I'll just talk for a second to let you think about that. But if you had to change one decision since your 17th birthday, because you think about that, we go to college, you know, we make a lot of mistakes in college, right? Uh, at least I did, and um, you know, you learn from them and you grow from them. And then you go into your career. And I always remember when I was early on in my career, I always thought I knew so much more than I really did. Even though I told myself, like, I just thought that I don't know. I always thought that I was just like, my way was the right way. Um, and I truly wish I would have listened to people more when I, was, when I was younger. But if you had to change one decision that you made, right, one specific decision, what would, I'll, actually, I'll tell you mine. You keep thinking. I'll tell you mine. That mine would have been not to intern one summer and go travel abroad. I would have changed that decision. I because working each summer didn't get me any further than where I am today. Traveling abroad is something that I wish I could do, but I can't do now because I'm building a family. Rightfully, and I love my family, 
but I can't go just study abroad for three months like I could have um, in uh, in college. And I think it would have changed my perspective of the world uh, because I was always just so focused on finance. So that's for me. Now I've given you, I think, enough time. I could keep talking, but I want you to tell me the one decision that you could you would change since you're 17. Well, first off, you can go study abroad for three months. There's just different ramifications for doing that today than back in college, right? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, Fair enough. I wouldn't have a wife and my son. I may not be able to see as much as I do now. Uh, but exactly yes. right. Yes, I definitely. Could. Um, <laughs> So it's tough, right? If you think about it, you know, depending on how you view the world and how things work, okay? If you're someone who says, hey, look, all the decisions in my life have got me to where I am today. So changing one of those, how would, would my life be vastly different? Would it be the same? We don't know. Um, you know, I grew up, I was an only boy with two sisters. So I never had to really share a room till college. I didn't like it. So when I moved to New York out of college, I didn't have roommates. So you could argue, hey, I should have roommates. I would have saved money. But I didn't like having roommates. I wouldn't have been comfortable. It would have been, you know, there's so, all right, you know, going to grad school. I went to NYU for grad school, spent a lot of money. You know, I was fortunate with my parents covered my undergrad. And they said, look, grad school, you're on your own. I still have student loans from that. So it's like, okay, do I need an MBA from NYU to be an advisor? Absolutely not. However, I met my wife at grad school, right? So you could argue both sides of this till to, to I'm blue in the face. So I'm going to give you a non-answer answer, right? There's plenty of stupid stuff I've spent money on over the years, right? Went out too much, you know, in the 20s, this, that, the other thing. But I wouldn't change it because I'm here today, right? Um, you could argue, you know, lower bar tabs, lower this. I, did I really need, you know, that, that expensive suit, you know, whatever it might be. I don't regret any of it. Would I change some of it? Yeah, you know, little things here and there that probably didn't alter it too much, but nothing that's like I think would drastically change the outcome. Because that's a fair that's a fair answer because I think it's all about. And I've talked about this with some other guests on the podcast. You know, it's about the journey, right? It's the journey and like the you know some people like force their journey, right? Because they're like I got to do this, and others just let their journey go, and it's like I'll deal with it as it comes and they get to this place that they never thought they would be and I think that there's something to be said about that right I think that that's an amazing way of of going about it and in, mm-hmm. in a perspective for sure I, I, I think that the non-answer I accept it I think it, it's a good thing for us all to know right like just take the journey as opposed to trying to be like you know force every decision and what that decision means on the future of what you're trying to do yeah you know I go I, I look back and I think and one of the family friends offered me a job as an advisor at a college. And I said, all right, you know, I'll think about it. I prefer to go work in a large, you know, in a large firm and more not away with that. It's like, okay, thinking back, how would it be different as an advisor, right? Coming out of college versus only being an advisor for seven years from now. How would my life be vastly different? I'd probably be more successful as an advisor, have a bigger book of business, whatever else, but may not have the knowledge I have with the institutional background, right? Hmm. May not have, you know, made the contacts, made the friends I've made, like all the different ramifications and kind of trickle down effect to that. So yeah, you you just, it's tough. Yeah, it is. That's for sure. That is for sure. But it's all about the journey and this journey with you, Matthew Ricks. But uh, it's been a lot of fun, man. And I'm just, I want to make sure that the listeners, because I'm sure there's, there's so many out there that want to continue to follow you and learn about you and, you know, be a part of your journey 
going forward. How can they stay in touch with you and, and continue to follow you? Yeah, so I'm uh, active on Twitter. So my handle there is just Matthew Ricks and then an underscore. Someone is squatting on Matthew Ricks and I've tried to contact him and they're unresponsive. Instagram, <laughs> it's Haystack Financial Planning. My firm website is haystackfp.com. So I'm out there. I'm available. Go follow Matthew Ricks. Go check him out on Twitter. Uh, doing some re- really, really great stuff for this industry. It's an honor to have you on the show. An honor to be in the same class with you on Investment News 40 Under 40. So thanks so much for taking some valuable time to spend it with us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. They say-